to the College Student Success Podcast, a podcast where college students and faculty come together to talk about mental health, wellness, mentorship, and entrepreneurship. Together, we set and achieve goals for ourselves to get us where we want to be. I'm your host, Derek Malenzak, and this is episode 97 of the podcast. And welcome back, everybody. How's it going out there? I hope you all are doing awesome uh, this week as we steamroll right through the semester and actually into spring break, uh, at least for many schools out there. Uh, I know a majority of the ones in New Jersey are observing spring break next week, and so I will be doing it as well. Uh, So there will be no podcast next week, and I will use that time to catch up on stuff probably plan out a little bit about the second half of the semester uh, podcast-wise. <laughs> I have a couple of ideas uh, for things I want to do. I want to uh, finish up the series on uh, cognitive strategies for college students. I have one more part of that, and that will be probably the, the next episode that comes out uh, two weeks from today. And I know I have one sort of book review I want to do, and I will have uh, something special, I don't know exactly what, but uh, in store for the 100th episode. I want to celebrate that somehow. But um, yeah, so if you guys have any ideas for episodes that you, uh, things you want to hear about uh, in the second half of the semester, things that are going to help you with goal achievement, things related to wellness, mentorship, entrepreneurship, send your ideas over to me, collegestudentsuccesspodcast at gmail.com. And I would love to hear any and all ideas because if I can work them into the show, I would gladly do it. I definitely want the, the content to reflect what the audience wants. So if it comes directly from you, uh, I certainly can't um, say that that's not happening, right? So send it in send it on in i got some some open open spots on the docket to uh devote to topics you know i can even go a little bit in depth in terms of uh preparatory research because i'll have next week off at least to prepare uh so yeah that's one thing i want to do i want to continue to work on my goal of uh getting in the habit of getting up earlier but i'm i've been struggling with that it's been uh, my schedule's been a little more irregular than most recently so um but i am i'm making progress on the article so anyway um i think we'll check in on that when is that week 10 so in a couple weeks uh when we do our goal progress so i'll save uh, a more detailed look at that for then Today, I have a really uh, special episode for you guys. I think it's going to be really valuable to many of you, both uh, faculty, maybe teaching that may be put in situations where you are supporting students with accommodations, as well as the students themselves that may be requesting accommodations and then um, sort of working with instructors to sort of implement them. So this interview today will cover that in in a good amount of detail. My guest is Brittany Stone. Brittany is a instructor in the Department of Psych Rehab, uh, same place I work. And as you hear in the beginning, we have had uh, sort of similar paths, first in mental health, uh, where we met, and then um, in academia. So I had had uh, the idea for a while to ask Brittany to come on the show, but just kind of never had the right angle. Uh, I really, I want, I knew she had uh, a lot of experience specifically with supporting college students in achieving educational goals. Uh, more experience in myself, actually, having uh, worked in a supported education program. Uh, so I definitely, you know, value her expertise, but I didn't want to just come her to just come on and talk about the ADA, you know, the Americans with Disability Act um, or Title IX, because that would be kind of boring and people would probably stop listening. So I was happy to when we figured out what we wanted to do, kind of make or craft examples around 
situations that can come up for you as students and instructors when um, talking about and implementing accommodations and working with uh, disability coordinators. So I think you'll enjoy this interview today. With that, take it away, Derek and Brittany. Okay, we are back, and I am here today interviewing Brittany Stone, a friend of mine and a colleague at Rutgers in the Department of Psych Rehab. Welcome, Brittany. Thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to finally get on your podcast. Yes, I've been uh, been thinking about a way to have you come on in a way that like was really valuable um, and brought a lot to the podcast because I, I knew there was a lot of different stuff we could talk about. Um, so before we get into our topic today, which is going to be some, um, helpful knowledge, I think for, you know, college students. And I think for faculty also, we're going to talk a little bit about legalities, uh, about your rights as a student with disability mm-hmm. and, and, and kind of do it in a way I think that's interesting. You know, we're not going to be quoting the, uh, ADA today or anything. I think we got some scenarios I think people will find interesting because you might be able to relate it to something that could potentially happen to yourself. Uh, both as a student and as a faculty member. So uh, before we get into that, though, tell the audience a little bit about yourself, Brittany. Sure. Um, So I am a rehab counselor by trade, and I worked in community mental health for about 15 years, Um, various program modalities. I worked in day treatment. I worked um, doing early intervention with autism spectrum disorders. I worked in teenage um, addiction programs, and then I ended up in services to support people with mental illness in going to work and going to school. Um, In fact, I was one of the first people hired in the state of New Jersey to provide supported education, which is a program that helps people with mental health conditions access and complete post-secondary education. So after doing that for a number of years and really helping to build up those services in the state of New Jersey, I moved over to Rutgers University, where I'm a faculty member. Um, I have done some teaching, both undergrad and at the master's level, and I do a lot of training and technical assistance to community-based mental health programs, helping their staff understand how to best support people looking to go to college and looking to go to work. Additionally, one of my roles for the university has been on a committee for admission and academic standing where I get to hear academic appeals. So I mentioned that last bit because that's been really relevant in um, some of these scenarios that we're going to talk about today. Yeah, definitely. Um, and in some ways, I feel like your career is in a lot of ways mirrored mine. We, we kind of mm-hmm. we met actually back in, when we were in community mental health, uh, working at uh, the same agency, but a different program. I, I've actually never worked directly in like supported ed or supported employment, and, and that's where you were at. And then uh, we, I think we came to Rutgers within like a month <laughs> of each other. We both got hired for completely, again, different projects, but yes. uh, similar paths. And uh, now you do more of the, more of the training and I do more the teaching within mm-hmm. the department. But we both do research and um, that will be something maybe we chat a little bit about uh, later. But first, yeah, let's get into these scenarios. So um, I'm glad you brought up the last part because I think that that is um, an interesting element that has kind of given um, some life and perspective to some of the the laws and and guidelines that we Mm -hmm. touch on today related to rights for students uh, when you register with disability services. And that's kind of, I think, where we'll start. Um, So what... I've talked about the process of registration in the past on the podcast. So um, those basics, I don't think you have to cover, but like what are some things I think that are important for students to be aware of when it comes to, you know, coming to that point where it's like, all right, I think I want to do this. I kind of know how to do it, but is there anything I should look out for? You know, one of the things um, that I've seen come up a lot, both when I was working directly with college students, um, you know, and then being on the faculty side and being on the appeal side, is that there's often some issues with communication. And it's sometimes a miscommunication, sometimes a lack of communication. um, And that's, you know, between faculty, students, and campus-based disability service providers. 
So one of the, the really critical steps is to actually register for disability services. The student has to be able to get there and self-identify. And as you said, you've gone into those details in past um, podcasts. Um, but what I've seen come up a lot is that students are used to flexibility from their professors. You know, so they might say, you know, I'm, I'm really struggling, I'm falling behind. Can I have an, an extra couple days to turn in this assignment? Or is it okay if I submit half of my assignment this day and the other half this day? Can I have a missed class, you know, here and there? And usually professors, faculty members are really flexible and do try to accommodate students. Um, but the problem is that flexibility does not offer any protection or a guarantee that it's gonna continue. So just because a student has been allowed to submit assignments late, doesn't mean that for that final project that's worth 50% of their grade, they're gonna be allowed to turn that one in late. Um, you know, even if the student's saying, it's because I have a disability, I need to turn this in late, I'm having symptoms. Going to your professor and letting them know does not provide you those same ADA protections as if you were to go to disability service, go through the proper channels, and you know, really understand what you need to do to meet your school's policy. Yeah, I could see, I could see that happening pretty frequently because I mean, I've been on the, the teacher side, right? It's like student tells me that and I, I'm guilty of this. You know, I'm not always going to say, you know, are you registered with disability services or encourage them if they're not as other teachers that have seen <laughs> sometimes will do. Um, so I need to be a little bit better at that. Um, but I certainly can understand the teacher perspective mm -hmm. at the end, especially like you, you were giving that example of, you know, the final project that's worth a lot. And all of a sudden it's like, no, I don't have any flexibility here. <laughs> um, right. Grades have to be in at a certain time. And they're like, what, you know, and it's, it's exactly what you said. It's, it's due to miscommunication. Right. Um, so, okay. So we should register. That's you should definitely <laughs> register. And you know, those, the school's policy regarding disability service and registration, it not only protects the student, but it also protects the faculty member too. Um, you know, in that way, you're not getting yourself into situations where you've been flexible for one student and not for another. And, you know, you just want to have everything the same across the board. You know, so students that are coming to you asking for that flexibility, um, encourage them to go through the proper channels for it. And you should definitely have something in your syllabus at the very start of the semester that has contact information for disability services. Yeah. And from the disability services standpoint, um, it, it's I know any one of them that I've talked to, and you could probably uh, back me up here, would ask and recommend that people register as early as possible in the process and in the semester because so many times what happens, what we just described does mm -hmm. happen, and, and the student will then try and register at the last minute for disability services to get the accommodation and will you know, either stress the system or potentially get denied because it was too late in the process. Exactly. Um, you know, I've had students that have said to me, but, you know, I don't need accommodations right now. I'll only need it if my symptoms, you know, flare up or if these things happen. Um, even if a student doesn't think that they might need those accommodations that semester, it's helpful to have things put in place. It doesn't mean they have to use it. So a student can have time and a half, for example, put in place. It doesn't mean they have to, to use the accommodation unless it comes to the point where they need it. Yep. And so, okay, so let's say they registered or they want to register and mm -hmm. they want to know, they want to make sure they go, you know, go the right process, make sure it's, you know, not necessarily the point of getting registered, but like what, what potentials could happen like, you know, further along, you know, in this mm -hmm. process. So as I mentioned, every school has policies in place and they have a different process. And this is going to vary from one institution to another. So students really have to know what is the policy at their school? What type of paperwork do they need? Um, do they have to meet in person? How do they tell their professor? Um, 
so they really want to make sure that they know their school's policy and it's the student's responsibility to know that. Um, one student that I encountered when I was um, hearing academic appeals was actually a physical therapy student. He was in his final semester, his last clinical rotation, um, and he was in the process of appealing an academic decision to suspend him from his program. And it all had to do with this proper channels issue. So the student had had seasonal affective disorder for a number of years, but he never needed accommodations. He had a lot of really good coping strategies. He used you know, light therapy, he spent time outdoors, he would spend time outside during his you know, lunchtime, he would eat really good. So we had all of these things in place. But in this last rotation, he took a really vigor uh, rigorous placement. Um, it was at a hospital. The hours were really long. It was very fast paced. There was limited downtime. Oftentimes he was just kind of like grabbing a muffin or a granola bar or a bagel and like eating something really quick, um, rushing from patient to patient. Um, he went to work and it was dark out. He came home and it was dark out. So within a couple weeks of being in this rotation, he really started to struggle. Um, he wasn't able to focus. There were some patient safety issues. Um, he couldn't recall information that he needed. And his on-site clinical supervisor noticed and started to mark him as unsatisfactory in their weekly meetings. Now, when he would meet with the clinical supervisor, all of those notes got documented and sent to the faculty supervisor at his academic institution. Um, during one of these clinical supervisory meetings, he actually had said, you know, I have seasonal affective disorder. I really would need an accommodation to have a lunchtime, you know, carved out time where I can get outside, where I can eat nutritious food. That'll go a long way in helping me. So the clinical supervisor kind of said like, well, I'll see what I can do, but this is a hospital. You know, it is what it is. If you're called to see a patient, you have to go. Within two weeks, he was still having unsatisfactory reports, and eventually the clinical site ended up saying to him, we're sorry, you can't finish. You're putting patient safety at risk. Um, so he was suspended. And he was, you know, during this appeal process was saying, but I disclosed. I asked for an accommodation and I disclosed. But he asked somebody at his clinical site, rather than asking somebody at the university, he didn't tell a faculty member, nor did he go to the Office of Disability Services for students. Sometimes it's called Office of Accessibility Services. Um, but he didn't do that. He didn't complete the paperwork. He didn't file anything from a doctor or provider stating that he had a diagnosis. Um, so it wasn't the clinical supervisor's responsibility to meet that accommodation need. Yeah, that one's a, that one's a tricky situation, right? Because to, to kind of break it down again for the students, because you did it well, but there's like this third factor in here, right? Because mm -hmm. we have the student, we have the instructor, or, you know, whoever the faculty contact is at the school. And then we have the um, site supervisor. So anyone that does an internship or practicum or residency, you know, is going to have some sort of point person that's overseeing them, you know, from that clinical aspect. And that was where the, the problem ran in because, well, what if they had had a, an accommodation with the, you know, with the school at that point? Um, how would it have impacted their, their environment in the hospital? So that's a really great question. Um, you know, and the, the thing is, the university cannot force an outside entity to provide the same types of accommodations that the school might make. So what they might have ended up doing for that particular student is first talking to him about the type of placement that he took. You know, in a hospital setting, um, the rigor level is a little bit different and the hours are different. So for this student, not having any access to light or to daylight, um, really created quite a barrier. Um, so going in and doing those really long shifts became very hard for him. Now those shifts can't really be modified if that's what's required um, in that place of employment. 
for yeah. example. So his placement may have been different. Um, additionally, the faculty member and disability services could have worked out ways that, that um, they could have either split his placement or moved him to a different placement midway. Um, but because it wasn't communicated to faculty and it wasn't communicated to disability services, no one else knew that the student was really struggling in that way because of a disability. Yeah. And so it, it brings to light this idea that, you know, we get a, or in give accommodations in school for mm -hmm. certain things based on disabilities. And a similar process exists in the workplace. Um, but you know, it, it brings up, you know, the, the idea of like, well, you know, can a blind person be, you know, uh, you know, have a, a job that requires something for, you know, vision, you know, I'm trying to think of a great example right now, but I was just a pilot, you know. Right. <laughs> um, and so can you explain a little bit about like, what sort of the limitations are when it comes to accommodations um, from that aspect? Sure. So in an educational environment, um, schools have to provide access. Um, you know, they have to, students can request accommodations and the accommodations can't create an undue um, uh, administrative or financial burden for institutions. They also can't dramatically alter the course content um, and the essential functions or technical standards of program in any way. Um, providing an accommodation for one student can't create um, upset or disruption to the learning environment for other students. So there, there are some things schools look at. One of the roles um, that they have to take though is they have to engage in this like collaborative process of figuring out and determining accommodations that might work for a student. So a student can go in and request certain accommodations, and it doesn't necessarily mean the school has to provide exactly what's requested, but there should be a collaborative process to determine what that would be. So for example, when I was working in community mental health, working with college students, I had one student who was diagnosed with treatment-resistant depression, and she had been undergoing um, ECT treatment, electroconvulsive therapy. And one of the side effects of that is some memory loss and memory difficulty. Now, she was a student, a really high-achieving student. Um, she was going into her senior year. She was going to be taking a biology class with a lab component, and in this class, there was a midterm and a final and lab grades. And those were the only grades. And she was really concerned that she wasn't going to be able to remember the content long enough to demonstrate mastery for a midterm and final. She knew that from week to week in the labs, she would be able to demonstrate the skills. But she, she you know, rightfully thought that her exam grades might suffer in retaining information for that period of time. So... We had to get a little bit creative there, and we asked if she could be tested after every chapter in her textbook. So we brought that to the school, and you know, they said to us, we have to evaluate this, we have to uh, do a little bit of research, which is more than okay on, a school's, on the school's behalf. And they came back to us a couple days later, and they said, this is going to pose an undue administrative burden on the professor. They're going to have to create exams for every chapter. They're going to have to grade exams after every chapter. We're going to have to find somebody to proctor these exams, you know, that are going to be taking place on almost a weekly basis. But what we could do is we could provide exams and testing each unit. So it was every couple chapters. So the student and I talked about if that was going to, you know, be a good compromise for her and ultimately be able to to meet her need. Um, and that was the accommodation that we had agreed upon. So it can be this collaborative process. It doesn't mean you're going to get everything you ask for. Um, but it has to be able to, the student still has to be able to demonstrate mastery of course content, the essential functions, the technical standards, or the course objectives. Yeah. So this is a, this is a really important point to, to, to drive home because I think this is, I think, where a lot of the, the problems come up, right, is this interpretation of like, 
well, what can we work with you on, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and, and be flexible with and where, and where is the line that we draw where we cannot be f- flexible. And that's really what, where you're talking about is that, that idea of the essential standards or is, what is it? Essential functions and technical standards, which are similar terms. Can you kind of, are they the same So typically essential functions is used in a workplace. It's commonly used there. Like what are the essential functions an employee must meet in order to do those essential job duties? Technical standards are often used in education, specifically um, health education and technical programs. So you might see technical standards in engineering programs or in medically based programs. And you might see essential functions in other liberal arts type programs. And also in the employment world. And also in the employment realm, yes. Okay. All right, so yeah, so let's do another example from like my class. I have a, uh, an introduction to psych rehab class, my, my 101 course. One of the, the major, um, major assignments, and I think it's like 30% of the grade, so it's, it's a decent amount, is, is this visit to a psych rehab program. <laughs> and so for a lot of students, this is like their initial, um, you know, first time they've ever been in a mental health center uh, or a group home, first time they've ever interacted with people with severe mental illness. Uh, so it's a really important assignment. Uh, and I think some of the reasons why, you know, it, that would relate to like the, um, the course objectives, the things you'd see on the syllabus are like, you know, being able to identify programs, different types of psych rehab programs or modalities and mm-hmm. um, becoming familiar with, you know, the different milieu and, and what, you know, what goes on in, in these different places. So I could see, I've never had it happen, but I can see it happening some point where I get a student that, for some reason, whether it's due to a, a psychiatric disability, I could think mm-hmm. maybe like um, a social phobia, for example, or something, okay. um, or a physical limitation uh, that they can't actually access the the community so well that they wouldn't be able to complete this assignment. Mm-hmm. So let's put you in my shoes here in the future and let's say, you know, let's work, you know, we would eventually, we may need to involve uh, disability services, but what would you like, how would you brainstorm or work together with disability services to kind of get, get that standard met, Mm -hmm. but not in that, not in that way that limits the person. So the first thing I would do would be to go to your course objectives what does the student have to do in order to successfully complete that class? You know, so it's identifying um, psych rehab principles, learning about community modalities or different types of mental health programs within the community, um, ways people receive service. You want them to learn about, you know, what is recovery, identify that or conceptualize that. So we look at those course objectives. That's the first thing. All of the assignments that you have, the exams that you have, the homework, the projects, the site visit, those are all how you as a faculty member have chosen to have the students demonstrate mastery of those course objectives. So those are the things that can be modified. The assignments themselves, the way that content is demonstrated is what can be modified. So rather than going to a community mental health organization for that assignment, perhaps the student can arrange, you know, web chat with people who work in different types of mental health settings. So they could talk to somebody in day treatment, or they could, you know, interview somebody who's with assertive community treatment or a career service team. Um, so they could do that on the phone, they can do that on over the internet, they can do it, you know, FaceTime. So that kind of interview style is another way that they can learn more about the profession and about the program modalities. Um, additionally, they could interview people who are receiving mental health service and talk to them about, you know, what is what is the, the support that you look you receive look like or what does recovery mean to you? How you know how is recovery shaped in your life? So they're still learning about recovery, they're still learning about various types of mental health programs, but they're not necessarily doing that community visit. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think that's a good example and a, and a good way for, I think, hopefully students and faculty to be able to begin to understand like how we can interpret, you know, different things that may seem concrete, like, no, you have to do this visit, which is, I think, you know, probably how a lot of faculty approach this that don't have this mindset of, you know, no, like there are ways to accommodate, you know, certain things based on this idea of the, the, the essential standards. And it really does come down to what you said is like looking at the objectives and it's like really figuring out like, what do you have to master? Mm-hmm. You know? Exactly. So that's that's really helpful. So let's let's take them a little further along. So let's say you know you've you've registered, um, you've agreed on you know some you've gotten approved for some accommodations, and you're going you're you're doing the uh, you're going through the course, um, mm-hmm. but you're running into problems still. Like so, it's like beyond you've tried you know, or you've gone you've done what you're supposed to do with with registering and and get asking, but it's still not working out Mm -hmm. as you intended. Like, can you change things up at that point? Like, where would you suggest a person go if they're struggling after going through those steps? Yeah, so we can definitely change things up. You know, the thing about accommodations is sometimes it's trial and error. Um, When we're thinking about mental health conditions, often the age of onset is during college, you know, so students might not have a, have had a lot of experience with using accommodations. They might still be figuring out what they really have trouble with. Um, so we want to be able to be responsive and flexible to that, but students have to speak up. You know, they have to go back to disability services then and say, this isn't working for me. So it's where that communication comes back in. Additionally, We want disability services to um, engage the student in this collaborative process, but sometimes that also means then pulling in the faculty member if disability services is not um, well-versed in what those course requirements are or how to best meet those technical standards. So students have to go back. You know, they ultimately, if something isn't working, they need to speak up right away. And that's going back to disability services and having a different accommodation put in place because then the faculty will need to be issued a new letter. Again, the student could go to the faculty member, but then that's just providing that flexibility and is not providing that same level of protection under the ADA. So there was this other student that I had encountered. She had been registered with disability service and was supposed to receive time and a half on exams. Because of her diagnosis, she had difficulty processing information. So that meant it took her a little bit longer, you know, to get to the answers, to recall that information. So even though she had this time and a half on exams, and what that means, if um, an exam is a 60-minute timed exam, they get half of the time added. So half of 60 minutes is 30 minutes. That student would then get 90 minutes on their exam. So she was still struggling, um, but she didn't go back to ODS. You know, she just, um, she was kind of trying to power through it and and was Mm -hmm. thinking like, well, you know, I guess this isn't working or maybe I'm not studying hard enough. And she continued to struggle through the semester. And then during her final exam, she ended up failing it by just a couple points. Um, And that's when she went to disability services and was like, look, I don't know, I don't know what's going on. And in talking through the issue, it turned out her accommodation for time and a half wasn't quite being provided the right way. So in this course, their exams were timed and they were given one minute per question. And the professor would put the question up on the um, projector. The whole class would have one minute, and then the professor would advance the slide. The next question would come up. What the professor did once they went through all of the questions is they would circle back. And they would say, okay, you know, who wants to go back to question five? Does anybody else need to look at this question? And they would, would go back, and students would have some additional time to look at those questions. So the professor thought they were being really fair um, in being able to do this and provide um, the second go through. Yeah, the second go through for the whole class, for all the students. Mm -hmm. But that wasn't helping the student with her speed of processing. 
So the professor was actually providing what's called repeated exposures. So she was showing the students the questions again a second time. For this student, they really needed to sit with that question. You know, they needed their 90 seconds to look at that question, not just 60 seconds and then an additional 30 seconds much later on. Yeah. So, you know, the professor thought they were being reasonable and they thought they were being fair um, and didn't realize because faculty members aren't trained in this, uh, you know, in most instances. They failed to realize that this still wasn't giving the student what she needed to process properly. The student also didn't realize that this really wasn't time and a half. Um, it wasn't what that student actually needed um, to be able to be successful. The student falsely assumed the professor knew how to make the needed accommodations, right? And then, you know, disability services also kind of falsely assumed the professor knew what they needed and assumed that the student was receiving what they needed. So there was a lot of miscommunication with that issue and it all could have been avoided. Seems to be the theme of the episode. Yeah. <laughs> miscommunication or speak up. Um, mm -hmm. So, so let's say the person tries to speak up, right? Mm -hmm. And they're not getting what they feel they deserve from disability services and or the instructor. Um, you mentioned before you were on this uh, academic appeals committee. So what I, I want students to know that like they shouldn't, if they truly believe that they deserve better, um, shouldn't just stop there if, this, if right. they're getting, um, you know, stonewalled at the, at the instructor level, that they mm -hmm. have other options. So I know it's all different for every school, yes. but generally speaking, what would you say, like if a student feels they need to take it to that kind of level? So after going back to disability services um, and discussing the issue, you know, if a faculty member is refusing to pro provide an accommodation or it's not being provided properly, they have to go back to disability services. That's first step. Disability service, depending on the school's policies and procedures, would then either reach out to that professor again or perhaps take it to the chair of that department. Students can also then, you know, go to, in a lot of instances, go to the dean at their school, um, you know, or within their department. But they have to follow the proper channels. So they're going to want to ask disability service, like, you know, what is the policy? What is the steps? Like, who do I need to talk to? What paperwork needs to be put in place? But there's also um, federal and state oversight for these issues. So they could contact the Office of Civil Rights. Um, you know, there's chapters in each state and take it to that level if they feel they are being discriminated against and their school is refusing to act. Yeah, so don't stop. <laughs> don't, don't accept. Stop. Yeah. Don't accept it. They're, they're, you know, yeah. every school has a committee like the one that Brittany's on, mm -hmm. um, or some way to sort of resolve disputes because they recognize, you know, that, you know, we are fallible as well. So, you know, instructors mess up sometimes. <laughs> um, and a lot of times I think it's what you said that we're not trained in how to provide, you know, individual accommodations. There's a lot Mm -hmm. that we're not trained on <laughs> um, as faculty, but that's a big one. And I think our department's probably a little more, you know, sensitive and, and has a little bit more experience and, and, and empathy uh, for students uh, with disabilities compared to, you know, general schools. Mm -hmm. um, but I think if you're listening to this podcast, regardless of where you are, um, you probably have, you, you know, you have some investment um, so where, what would you say to, to faculty that are like, yeah, I am invested. I'm here listening. You know, I'm trying to get what I can out of Derek's podcast, but like, where else would you say like faculty could go for help with like, you know, just in general bit better being able to support students with psych disabilities? So, you know, what I have seen is that for the most part, faculty are really trying to support students and want to understand and want to be of help and generally um, just might not know how. Their first step, too, is go to your campus disability or accessibility service, you know, whatever they call it on your campus, and ask if they provide 
workshops for faculty or training. Um, there is some information out there, though certainly not as much as I think you or I would like to see. Um, educate yourself on, on the Americans with Disabilities Act, what you're allowed to ask, what you're not allowed to ask to students. Um, keep the lines of communication open, though. You know, if you're unsure about something, if you, you get a letter from disability services, a certain type of accommodation you're supposed to provide and you don't know what that looks like or you know don't know how to best do that talk to the student talk to disability services ask them you know to to figure it out within your classroom clinical settings um, or lab settings um, practicum type settings these are really nuanced um, and really do involve a lot of collaboration to to meet the needs and um, make sure the student is is meeting the technical standards or essential functions while you know still being accommodated in a way that is in keeping with the ADA yeah I think that's yeah good advice I mean it, it the stuff is out there you know um, and most I would think most schools want you know want to keep people you know or make people aware or have a resource for, for faculty if they are having trouble. And so um, similar to what we just said for students, for faculty as well, like don't stop just because, you know, mm -hmm. you're not happy with the answer from this, your disability office. Like there are other avenues as well. So, um, you know, yeah. the other thing that I do want to bring up with students um, that is, they definitely do need to speak up when something seems off, but they also should be mindful to um, speak up in a way that they feel comfortable with, you know, in an academic setting. Um, you know, they don't have to disclose what their diagnosis is or what their disability is. Um, so, but it is helpful to have a conversation with a professor about what you need or what you have trouble with. Um, or how the accommodation benefits you. Those conversations are important to have, you know, so, so thinking through how much you want to share um, is always a smart thing to do, you know, so that you don't feel like you're blurting things out or you're not giving more information than you feel comfortable with in the moment when you're caught off guard, um, but also able to properly advocate for yourself. I encountered another, um, another woman who, because of insurance issues, had a, a lapse in her medication. So she was starting to experience some symptoms of bipolar disorder. And her class, you know, had to, to be able to demonstrate certain clinical skills in a lab setting. Half the class was going to go, you know, this week, half it was going to go next week. She was assigned to go, you know, in, in the immediate week. And uh, when she got to class and the professor asked her to demonstrate, she said, I don't feel prepared. You know, and it was because she was having symptoms. Um, of bipolar disorder. And for a professor to hear a student say, I'm not prepared, you know, for, for something they should be prepared for, faculty don't want to hear that. <laughs> no, uh, but I, I, don't, I don't want to hear that, I know. <laughs> exactly. You know, you think like, okay, you didn't read, you didn't study, you didn't right. do you the You assume that, that they're, they're slacking off, right. Right, they're not meeting their responsibilities as a student. The student, obviously, in that setting, didn't want to say like, oh, I'm not on my medication for my bipolar disorder and I'm having, you know, symptoms. Right. Um, but that student perhaps could have emailed the professor, could have asked to speak to them privately, could have contacted disability services for, um, you know, some support in doing that. So, um, you know, students do need to learn some of these self-advocacy strategies as well. Another student I had worked with, um, it, she got time and a half for a test and the day of an, the first exam in class, you know, the professor reminded everybody like, okay, you've got X amount of time to take this test. And she said, except for me, don't forget, I get extra time. Another student in class said, well, why does she get extra time? And the professor blurts out, well, she's got a disability. Yeah. The student was so angry, you know, that the professor would say that. Um, but at the same time, um, you know, the student kind of, blurted out, you know, about her extra time rather than 
reminding the professor, approaching him, going out in the hallway. And so we want to think right. through these issues that come up with advocacy and disclosure. Yeah, definitely. And I think that like, you know, certainly listening to this episode will, will get people thinking about these things. Um, you know, from the, from what, as we started off the perspective of like, you know, making the decision to register or not, you know, I think you brought up the good point of like considering it, even if you don't think at that particular time, you know, beginning a semester is typically easy, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, you're kind of easing into things. It's like, oh, this isn't so bad. I should be fine. You're not anticipating what it's going to be like, you know, in week 10, um, right. or week, you know, 14. So you know, from that prospect on into, you know, what the actual interpretation of the accommodations, mm -hmm. um, you know, problems and issues that we could run into there as sort of the execution. And then like, you know, the, you know, what happens when I'm not getting my, my needs met. Um, so I really appreciate, you know, all the information you brought. Any, anything else, any other advice for students, you know, given your experience in supporting them, as they've kind of, you know, attempted to better their lives, you know, they're doing everything that, you know, we expect in terms of, you know, establishing a firm recovery, you know, having good supports. Um, the stuff we've talked about today, is there any other advice you'd have for students, you know, as they're undergoing, you know, this, this journey? Just remember to communicate as best as you can, you know, if something isn't working, if something is working, um, talk to disability services, talk to your professors, talk to the other support people that you have. Um, if you're unsure about what it is you need in a class, um, don't be afraid to say so, you know, and, and don't be afraid to say this isn't working for me. I thought it would work. It's not. Um, those things can be changed, but you have to stay in communication. Um, you know, with disability services, with your professor. And use the internet. You know, there's a lot of information out there that's readily accessible and available for students. Um, you know, see what other students are using. Um, talk to, you know, talk to people. There's a lot of different groups that support students with disabilities. Connect with them. See what makes sense for you. Yeah. Yeah, don't just stop at your school's website. You know, there's definitely things beyond school, you know, nationwide. Mm -hmm. um, I've talked about different organizations, you know, Active Minds and the Jed Foundation. Yes. Um, but there's also, you know, other programs really related, you know, really related and committed to things like, you know, accessibility mm -hmm. and stuff. So, um, yeah, don't just, uh, yeah, confine yourself to your school's website or, or you know. Yeah, don't think extended time is the only accommodation that you can get. There are a lot um, more creative strategies. So, you know, remember that you have to meet those technical standards, um, but how you do it can look really different. Yeah. And, and most faculty are like willing to, you know, willing to work with students. They're not going to like, you had given the example earlier, they're not going to go through, you know, jump through hoops and, you know, create, you know, all this undue burden, you know, but they would be willing to, in most cases, you know, compromise and, and sort of come to, you know, some sort of a halfway point. Mm -hmm. um, if it does mean, you know, the person is going to, you know, essentially do what the, they're, they're looking for them to do. So. All right. This has been great, Brittany. I appreciate uh, you coming on the show today. Thanks so much. You're welcome. It was good to be here. All right. We're back. And thank you again to Brittany for making the time to come on. And uh, not only, you know, with the interview, but also kind of preparing for the interview as it took a little bit more than I think most of the guests that I have on uh, crafting those scenarios. So if you have any questions about these, uh, I'm sure I didn't ask her, but knowing her as I do, I'm sure she would uh, be, you know, more than um, happy to respond individually if people have situations. Um, it wouldn't be, you know, considered any kind of, you know, um, expert advice. It would just be, you know, somebody's opinion that has been doing this for a long time. Um, and so if you have any questions, 
uh, questions about the content and I can't do it. I can't answer it myself. There's a chance if you have a question, I might be able to answer it. But if not, I would definitely um, seek her opinion and uh, get you an answer. Uh, reach out again to the show. Uh, the email address is in the show notes. So with that, I will be uh, bidding you guys adieu for the week and taking a week off, as I mentioned. So no podcast next week. Be back at you guys next week. Now, <laughs> already already messed that up. Be back in two weeks uh, to wrap up our Cognitive strategy series. We'll be talking about uh, set shifting or multitasking and cognitive flexibility, sort of being able to keep your brain pliable and able to respond to any and all situations. So hopefully you guys have a great spring break, catch up on sleep, take a vacation, spend some time on you. Uh, I will be doing the same. Have a great week, everybody. Take care. Peace.